I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy from the Kindergarten Kiosk Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Lynn Jimenez, a licensed clinical social worker who has over 10 years' experience as an educator in California. Lynn founded Connect, Flow, Grow to address the growing need for students to have more social-emotional support. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you left a review, shared, and subscribed. (laughs) Thank you so much. Enjoy. You know, a couple years ago, my... uh, my wedding band started having problems and I've had it for 34 years and uh, it started breaking at, at the backside of it and we got it fixed a couple of different times and then eventually not too long ago one of those that backside just fell out and it couldn't be fixed any longer and I'm like this is crazy I, you know I shouldn't have to deal with this and and so anyway then a friend told me about uh, Boone Titanium Rings and uh, which is at booneringscom and they have this incredible selection of titanium rings and and uh I now have a titanium ring as my wedding band. What's really cool is like it's an engraved ring that has uh, these cool car pistons on it and some stars, and and I could have chosen from any kind of different stand, uh, styles, as well as they have all these other different types of rings, like uh, inlays that have meteorite, wood, acrylic, stone, and things like that. They also make uh, carved rings and, and a, just a, an assortment of other rings that uh, are just pretty amazing. They also make pendants and cufflinks and earrings, and as well as a couple of different types of tools. Um, I got to tell you something it's really cool because this ring's not going to break <laughs> and uh they, they'll make you happy and uh just as a note uh teaching learning leading k-12 um they've become an affiliate sponsor for us and so if you were to use our code which is capital t capital l capital l capital k the number 12 and uh, use that at checkout you get 10 percent off your ring and uh teaching learning leading k-12 gets a commission i think you're going to love their rings i know i'd love mine <laughs> You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Lynn Jimenez is a licensed clinical social worker who has over 10 years experience as an educator in California. Her school-based experience includes working with students in foster care and on probation, supporting school districts in developing trauma-informed practices, creating innovative programs to drive state policy change, implementing restorative practices, and developing school-based substance abuse and mental health programs. As a therapist, Lynn's niche Uh, niche is stress response system activation, which includes daily stress, anxiety, depression, and trauma responses. Her favorite tools to help neutralize the stress response system are number one, nurturing relationships, and number two, mindfulness. Lynn founded Connect, Flow, Grow to address the growing need for students to have more social emotional support, helping schools partner with parents to develop these skills in the home so students could come to school ready, willing, and able to learn. Uh, Lynn, thanks for being here today and say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be here and just chat with you, Steve, and just share whatever I have to offer to your audience. Well, I'm glad you're here. And uh, let's start by talking about a few items that are mentioned in your bio. As a social worker, you worked with students in foster care and on probation. What were some of the common challenges you typically faced working with these kids? Um, Gosh, I mean, trauma is like the underlying um, core issue that they 
just such a common thread for all of them. And then trauma can look so different, right? There's such a wide breadth of what that looks like, whether it's the trauma of being removed from their home and placed in a foster care system or placed out of the home, maybe in a juvenile detention center. But then there's just the, there's the additional trauma on top of that, that brought them particular students in foster care into the system. Students, my kids on probation often had trauma in their background too. And the way it manifested it as a behavior that got them in trouble. Um, same thing with the students in foster care system. They were overrepresented um, in suspension and disciplinary issues, um, special ed. A lot, of, um, a lot of my students qualified under the disability of emotional disturbance is what we call it in California. I know it varies state to state, but um, because of these behaviors that manifested as a result of the trauma. And the challenge was, is we didn't always take the time to really look deep enough to understand how that trauma impacted them on a day-to-day -day basis and figure out what we needed to do to help teach them new ways of behavior, new ways, new ways of coping, um, which is really what our responsibility was, is teaching them how to navigate a school environment, how to participate in the classroom, all these beautiful social emotional skills, um, their intensity of the behaviors was just turned up a lot. Uh, in addition to that is the mobility, the academic or the gaps in academic achievement because of the mobility. Um, sometimes the trauma impacted their ability to learn. And so really looking at what sort of supports and services we can provide that are unique to the individual and that will help them move forward in their education. Gotcha. You know, it's, it's interesting because when I, I'm a former high school teacher and, uh, and then I became an assistant principal and then I became a principal and, and it was interesting to transition from teacher to uh, assistant principal, one of the uh, first groups that I got to know really well were the uh, um, were social workers, and then not only social workers, but then probation officers and uh, other other such um, assortment of personnel. And I, I learned rather quickly some of the many challenges that some of the kids that I had had in my classes before, even though I you know had some of these challenges, you got to see firsthand a little bit more and understand a little bit more about what their world was like uh, from an administrative perspective. So I understand those challenges there. And, you know, just like uh, some of the kids who uh, in one of the schools I was principal, of, we had a, um, a program that basically had, uh, we had a couple programs that had these um, yeah, they've reconstructed uh, what used to be a grocery store or something like that and turned it into small apartments. And these were all kids that were over, you know, very getting close to aging out of the, of programs. And, uh, but yet we're still in school trying to finish up. And uh, those presented some rather unique ones too, that talk about a number of trauma. I can't imagine being, you know, that old and, uh, and basically families didn't want them. That's what's yeah. <laughs> that's living in those programs. So just that is a trauma aspect would be incredible to have to do with. Totally. And I mean, we think at 18 that a, a child, I mean, now we know it's a little more common knowledge that the brain isn't fully developed until mid twenties. And so we're kind of giving kids a little more time to move into adulthood. Um, but really understanding how those, the, those traumatic experiences um, impact the developmental trajectory and how we can support them and they may not be ready. And so those programs are really important that help transition kids out of the quote unquote traditional school system and into a more, a still supportive environment so they can progress through this early adult, adulting years in a way that is sensitive to their background and their history, still providing them 
the support because at 18 we none of us magically figure it out if we're lucky we've had support and guidance along the way and we have a safety net under us as we make the mistakes but for a lot of the students in foster care and on probation the safety net looks a little bit different and it's not always full of the support and the love and nurturing that they need most definitely uh, you know something else that was in your bio was as a therapist lynn's niche is stress response system activation okay what's that mean <laughs> it's my favorite thing. I'm so glad that you brought that one in because it's like the thing I love to talk about most. Um, so stress response system activation. The, the reason why I kind of uh, started getting really deep into it, I'm going to give you a little bit of context is I moved from working with um, kids in foster care system. So everybody that I worked with had some, some level of trauma. Then I was working with um, students who were using substances. So there was, you know, a decent amount of trauma there. And then I worked in this comprehensive school district and we were doing K-12 mental health programming. And what we started noticing was there's so many kids with anxiety. And I like, I understood the trauma piece and I understood the trauma responses, but I was getting really curious about why so many students on this campus from the quote unquote good families, right? Like we kind of like want to put these pockets of like where we uh, allocate resources. And so there are kids in honors classes. Um, and I knew, I understand like, oh, these, you know, these students should have a lot of demands on them, the information, but I didn't quite make the connection that the response from the trauma response and the anxiety response were very similar physiological responses. And that is what the stress response system is. It's this beautiful adaptation that we have, the system that processes information for us. So stress can be things like you have a pop quiz in class. Stress can be learning in and of itself is raises a stress response system. Stress, all stress isn't bad. There's, it's called eustress or positive stress. It's just like tiny little stress that um, just helps the system become calibrated. We have to experience stress in order to learn how to tolerate frustration and learn how to tolerate disruptive emotions or negative emotions. And so if we kind of do it in these small tolerable doses, then the system functions very well. We have this activation and then we have this relaxation response. For some of us who either experience a lot of stress, a lot of adversity or trauma, that system becomes overactive sometimes not knowing how to turn itself off. And so it's constantly on, constantly scanning the environment for threats to the organism because our brain just wants to keep us safe. It wants to keep us alive. And so its job is number one job is always protecting us as an organism. And so it's going to be scanning our environment constantly. So the stress response system is like this very fine tuned system. Usually when, when working in an optimal sense that just takes in information and determines what it needs to do with it. Do we need to move into a fight or flight response if that's not available, do we need to move into a freeze response? Um, again, always looking at protecting us as an organism. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. So thanks for explaining that. Yeah. So let's use that to segue into uh, your business, which is called Connect, Flow, Grow. Yep. Um, Where did the inspiration come from to start this business? So it started when um, the last school district that I worked at, I was um, one of the, one of a team that we did the, the mental health programming, but really um, embedded restorative practices into the, the district. Um, so when we would go out, we'd provide support to teachers. We'd go out to the classrooms, sit and do circle, run circles with them in their classrooms for like four to six weeks, give them any sort of support and technical assistance for them to be um, just feel more skillful in implementing circles and restorative practices in their classrooms. 
And I would sit in circle after circle with kids. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm pro- I was probably running 20 circles a week. And so I'm sitting with all these kids in these circles and just asking them questions and like checking in with them, seeing how they're doing, what's going on in their week. And time after time, the students were like, man, when we get ready to leave, man, we want to do this more. Can we please do this more? Like, I really like to get to know the other kids in my class. I really like people to know how I'm doing, um, how I'm, how my day's going. And they just had so much on their like hearts and minds. And like, as a social worker, I'm like, ah, these kids are just carrying so much with them. And I get that we have so much academically to try and fit in into a day but there's just this need for connection and to be seen and to be heard. Um, And we were offering them a small taste of that. But as a mom, like I have three little boys and as a mom, I think like, gosh, like I want to hear all of this stuff. I want to know everything that's going on in my kid's life. I want to know the things that are like happening on the playground and what, how they view the world. And so I would always bring my tools back to my house. Like I would, you know, learn something about restorative practice and I would try test it on my kids. Um, and so we started sitting in circles and having family meetings and it changed the dynamic of our family. Our, at that time I was going through a divorce. And so our family changed drastically and I really needed a way to stabilize my kids and stabilize our family. Um, and it just, it moved us through a very rough period of time, allowed us to have really tough conversations and also allowed me to just stay really connected with my kids and know what was happening with them day to day. We'd have one family meeting a week. It took us like 10 to 15 minutes, but it, it, it was such a huge, um, had such a huge impact on our ability to do that. And so that's kind of where the business has come from. Very cool. So I have to ask this because, uh, at any time did, uh, one of your children look at you and go, okay, mom, um, you know, is, uh, where'd this one come from? <laughs> um, no, they, they're so funny. I think they're just used to me bringing home weird things and trying new things. And so nice. it's funny because they, um, they'll literally ask for circles. They're like, mommy, can we, or not circles. They don't call it that. We call it a family meeting. They say, mommy, can we have a family meeting? We haven't had one in a while. Can, can nice. we do peaches and pits? And they would just like seek it out. Cause they just, there's three of them. They're always fighting for my attention. I mean, there's like no quiet time in, in my, for me. And so for them to just have a moment where it's like, okay, you get my full undivided attention, even if it's two minutes, is huge. It, it's cool because it is, you're right. I mean, especially when, when you have three children. So I, I had two and they were four years apart. So that, yeah, they got a little bit more of their own time because of that distance in there, especially as they got older. But uh, um, having three, there's always the middle one too. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> There's a, I can imagine the, the fighting for attention. So you're giving it to them. That's cool. So yeah, you just got to find a way, right? Instead of working, going against the grain, it's just kind of working with it. That's what I like that. That's cool. So, uh, so what can a family parent child expect when they work with you at Connect Flow Grow? I mean, what will happen? So I have a couple different um, ways to work with families, some more indirect support. support. So I have a course, um, Strengthening Connections, that just teaches families how to have this family meeting. So uh, the family meeting is like the core of everything we do. And I give parents or caregivers um, some easy to use tools to help structure a family meeting, um, be consistent with the practice, how to use a check-in to kind of just take the emotional temperature of their family or each of the members of the family. And then from there, the other programs build on that. So the the other program um, that kind of goes with that is, it's called Stronger for Longer and it's a monthly membership. Every month, if parents 
I know how hard it can be to like come up with like, what do I do during my family meeting? We're getting bored of just asking like how everybody's doing every day. So with that membership, they get activities that they can use. There's four activities a month and each of them relates to different topics. So we did self-care um, and it's like fun stuff. We have like a self-care bingo. And so they talk about as they're playing this bingo game, what is self-care? What are their own self-care practices? Um, we did self-care stations. So they got to practice different self-care activities and get to know like what is going to be in their toolkit to take care of themselves. Um, we've done some mindfulness. We've done some goal setting. My kids and I, for our goal setting, because we, we do all the activities um, or as many as we can for our goal for the next six months is all learning how to ride skateboards together. So I'll keep you posted in a few months. I'm not that great at it right now, but I'm only seven days in. So kudos, kudos. Thank you. It's uh, um, yeah. Just as a side note, Lynn, I mean, I, I went through skateboarding when I was, you know, 14 through 17. All right. That's, I'm picking it up at 40. It's, it's definitely daunting. Nice. And there's a reason why it stopped with me at 17. Okay? I have no plans of like dropping, going to a skate park, dropping into a bowl. Like none of that is on my radar. I just imagine like when we go camping or something, I can cruise around with them. I'll just like navigate the campgrounds. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, the, you know, and all the power to you there. That's, that's <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you probably weren't expecting that one. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, so uh, how can you help parents, you know, to be more intentional about their parenting practices and understand the why behind their parenting? I think that's something cool that you talk about. Yeah. So I think, I mean, most of us, right, are not, one, not talk, taught about our feelings. And so if we're not explicitly taught, how to manage our feelings, unless you've been to therapy or you're like, the kids coming up have a, a much stronger leg to stand on because we're actually embedding it into the school day now. But for most of us, like we weren't taught most of this. My family had plenty of adversity and dysfunction, so I for sure didn't learn it, but um, nobody taught me how to teach it to other people because I didn't even know. I just had to figure it out by trial and error. Parenting is another area where we just kind of go do it. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the day to day of like, I just have to deal with this, the stage that they're in or this moment in time. And we don't necessarily think of the long term. I use a lot of strategies that I've applied that I've learned in like business and leadership to how I run my family and how I encourage parents to run their families. So family meetings, right? Like we, when I was an administrator, our team would meet all the time and we would talk about goals and like what our vision is. And we had missions, right? Like mission statements. But as a mom, I never put those things together until now. I'm like, whoa, we need to, we need to sit and we need to know what's going on. Sometimes it's to just get a pulse on how everybody's doing. Sometimes it's to discuss business that's coming up, like family business, um, things that are going to impact us all. Uh, we talk about like values. Um, we talk about like what it is that I want my kids. Like we have conversations of like, these are the things I need you to learn when you're 18. For example, um, I want my kids to like be comfortable with money and have an idea of like how to save and how to budget. And so two summers ago, um, they're not fans of this by any, this is like one of those things that we're like, come on, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I made them start an envelope system and like they have three envelopes and they do um, one for their bank account, one where they have to save for something, a big purchase that they want, like a Lego set or something like that. And another one where they can spend, um, 
it's called their spend now. So they can spend it on anything they want outside of like my, my youngest, he's always trying to find like the loopholes. He's going to be the attorney or something, I think. Um, <laughs> but he's like, so I can buy all the soda I want. And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> There's still like nice. nutrition things that we have to consider, but it was like their way of like spending money on video games when they'd want to do like the in-app purchases. Like I don't want to give them the money instead of us battling out like how much they can spend. They know how much they have and, they can allocate it um, accordingly. So I think that's just like when parents can, can identify and articulate what it is that they want for their kids, then you have the ability to plan backwards and figure out what is it that I'm doing now and why am I doing these parenting practices? Because a lot of times we just kind of inherit them from our families and then we're not really sure why we're doing it. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's not, typically a conversation piece within a lot of families and, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, you know, and some families have some of the things that they do and they have their own, but I would think that with many families, that's, that's a very foreign conversation, even talking about goals or whatever. Um, now I can't remember having the conversation with my father that basically went like this, you know, if you and your, your stepbrother want to have the, uh, you know, get one of these remote controlled helicopters, then it's time to start saving. And, uh, you know, it's funny because you talk about those envelopes. That's what you started making me think of. His name was Chris. Chris and I tried really hard. We got to a certain point after a while. We went, you know, yeah, I don't think we really need that helicopter that bad. And we spent the money on something else. <laughs> I mean, that was me. Every time I get like, I don't know, $2, I'd go to the corner store and buy as much candy as I possibly could. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I mean, I, I think that's something that it's especially, uh, especially in something we're going to get into in a minute. I, I think that there's a lot of uh, um, need for kind of understanding a little bit about how we can have conversations with kids and how they should start at a certain time, you know, early on. And you know, parenting skills are not, you know, necessarily just something that you just, you know, inherit or just come up with. Mm-hmm. And and uh, sometimes we're, you know, uh, you know, we've been shown the whole wrong way to do it. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I think we've seen this, like uh, you and I maybe can agree on this in like education, how we're moving away from punishment and discipline, even though people don't want to say that there is a punishment, like truly some of our approaches are very punitive and we're not actually teaching kids the expected behaviors. We're hoping that they make the connection, like, hey, if you get suspended, that this behavior is inappropriate. But really, if we can take that away, strip away the behavior we don't want them to have and replace it with a new behavior is where the power comes in. And so I think if you can consider your parenting practices the same way of like, my kid's behavior is not a reflection of me being a bad parent, or it's not a reflection of them being a bad person. It's just, they're showing us what they know how to do in these situations. And so as I assess whether or not I'm okay with this behavior, I now have the opportunity to change something else. And that's kind of like, if you can be a little more mindful in your parenting, I think it will create some like really healthy shifts in your family and reduce a lot of stress and frustration. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I, I agree with you. And I, yes, we could have an entire whole week worth of shows <laughs> if we were talking about <laughs> talking about uh, the idea of discipline and management and such. Uh, <laughs> Cause I'm not so sure that the, the new direction is really helping them understand boundaries and <laughs> yeah, don't go there. That's not yeah. the place to go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll shift off of that. <laughs> um, but the, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I want to make sure we, I, I talk about is that you have a blog and I love the article. First of all, the title is incredibly awesome. The article itself is good. 
And, uh, but it's called how to make mornings easier. And there's one specific, there's, it's two parts. And one specifically is called how to make mornings easier with kids. <laughs> and, <laughs> could you share a little bit about this, the blog and how to make mornings easier? Totally. Okay. So going back to inspiration, I love when you ask that question. So this was because I recognized in myself, I was getting up and I was like running around the house, like doing, 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 and I would yell at my kids to get them out of the house, right? Like I felt like I was just barking orders at my kids every morning. And at some point I was like, okay, this isn't what I want. I don't, I'm leaving the house stressed out. They're going to school stressed out. This is not working for any of us. Um, and so I had to peel it back and look at like, all right, what is it that I want? Um, I talk a lot as a therapist about self-care and being intentional with our actions, having integrity between, you know, what we want and what we're doing. And so being a little more mindful about our mornings and having, if your intention is to be productive, cool, then how are you going to be productive in your morning? My intention is to not be stressed out. Like I do not want to start my day that way because if I start my day that way, usually I end it that way. And so um, I think on the blog post, there's a link to uh, like a little mini course on there and I'm not trying to sell it. I'm just saying like, if it, if it sounds <laughs> good, then go on there and check it's it out. It's fine. We're good. <laughs> um, but the goal is, is for you to take some time to evaluate what's happening in the morning and then figure out what it is that you need for everybody. It's going to be different. I found in, if I wake up in the morning, um, I need to do some sort of mindful practice. So whether it's like a little bit of yoga, um, some meditation, some journaling, just sitting and drinking my cup of tea. I love to drink tea. And so if I can just sit and enjoy my cup of tea rather than guzzling it as I'm driving off in the morning, it just shifts my whole day. I'm telling myself that I'm important and that I'm an, I'm more important than all the other things on my to-do list versus running around and attending to everybody else's business, which is what I was doing. Um, and it's such a su subtle shift, but it just having that intention and that focus usually will help drive an easier morning if that's what you choose. It's hard though, because you have to make some cuts and you really have to be willing to look at your own behavior and stick to it. And not everybody, not everybody's ready to do it. I, I, I like this. And, it, and, and it's funny because, you know, I, both my kids are now, uh, they're, grown they're in their 20s and they have they're in the work world and all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. but it's it's funny because uh you know it i've always yeah it's one of those things you experience as a parent um friends had told me you know just watch as they get older you'll realize that even though they're both from the same two parents doesn't mean that they don't have their own you know idiosyncrasies you know type of thing mm -hmm. and and one of those would happen to be the getting up in the morning, right? You have the one, <laughs> the, one the one who's boom, out of bed, up, ready to go. And whether wants to go or not is not the, cho is not the point. The point is ready to go when you want them to. Mm -hmm. And the other one is, well, I've got like five more minutes. I really don't have to. It doesn't take me that long to get out of bed. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> that's why we're, you know, that's why I'm bugging you, you know, <laughs> beforehand. Yeah, totally. You know, this is like the third time into your room. Now you've got, I, you know, so it's just, it's interesting. So, and then myself and my stepbrothers, it was always the same way too. I experienced the same thing because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much a morning person, um, but not so much them. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. And so I, I, I don't think this is anywhere on my, it might not be on my, um, my website or my profile. So I do some contract work with addictions, an addictions treatment center. 
And so I see, and it's not, I'm not sharing this to a fear monger, but I see when kind of mindless behavior gets intensified and amplified plus like trauma and some other stuff. So I don't want to like boil it down to something so simple, but a lot of my clients, they, um, they don't have this level of structure. They don't have this level of like mindfulness. Um, and that is part of the program of building that in. So one of, one of the very first things or very early in their treatment, do they learn is like having a healthy morning structure. And I think if we, if you don't have maladaptive behaviors like addiction, or, you know, you don't have some mental illness that you are trying to recover from, it's easy to just go through the motions of life and be like, I got this, I got this because I'm not, I'm still rather functional. Doesn't mean it's optimal. And so I think, uh, for a lot of us, we have a very high tolerance for stress going back to the stress response system. And so, yeah, I can tolerate a bunch of stuff. I've had, my plate has overflowed my entire life with all the things. And as I would like say no and take something off my plate, I would easily just bring something back on because that's just how I knew to function. So the shift for me of like being a little more mindful, slowing down was rough because I was like, what am I doing? Like I'm taking a break. I'm just going on cruise control. I've actually been able to accomplish a lot more and I get, I'm much more creative. I can solve my problems a lot quicker because I'm not operating from the stressed out place. And with the stress response system, what we know is when we have high stress, the, the integration, our brain is not fully integrated. So we're operating from a very primal place sometimes that survival mode, which means that we're not able to like be creative think about the consequences of our behavior, get organized, all of that stuff that is really valuable to us in our day-to-day lives. And I like that. That's, it's, you know, cause it's funny as a kid, I wish I had known this that I'm about to say, because I had, um, I'd get up. That's not really an issue. Not didn't, that I didn't want to or anything like that, but I really wasn't somebody who was going to sleep in and stuff like this and uh, ate my breakfast. And, you know, it's just the routine that you had. And I, you know, go to school they uh, uh, or be taken to school, depending on how young I was at the time. Well, well, as an adult, what I've realized is that it's really awesome if I get up just a little bit earlier so that I make sure I have enough time to do a little bit of reading, not work-related reading, totally separated reading, you know, something that just helps me get my mind in a whole different world so that I do that. I set a little bit of, I set an amount of time. That way I get a chance to really, you know, delve into it. And my day's a whole lot different when I do that. And I yeah. uh, wish I'd had that thought. Right. Yeah. And everybody's so different. Like I notice some days, like when I'm working from home, I like to get up and wash the dishes. I am not like a cleaning person. Like cleaning does not bring me joy. I love those people. I wish that they would come into my house and do all the cleaning for me. It is not for me. So like when I, I say this, because I'm like, this is a very interesting thing that I love to do, but I like to get up and I like to wash the dishes and it just gives me enough time for my brain to kind of come online for my brain to kind of get ready and gives me that transition. And then I can move into work, but to just like get up and jump to my laptop, that was not working for me. I was like, I would just sit there staring at my laptop for like two hours. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I understand that. Cause I know like the, you know, a lot of times there's like this little drive or, you know, emails calling you, you must mm-hmm. look at me, you must look at me. And it's like, you know, I've learned that if I can stop that and just do something else, then I'm a little less stressed and then go get into the email when I have to, but yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So, uh, you know, 
can we take a, a minute or two to talk? You, you started to mention a little while ago, um, one of the programs that you have is called Strengthening Con Connections, and you talk a lot about relationships and such. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about this specific program that you offer. Yep. So the program is, it's, the foundation is healthy, nurturing relationships and mindfulness. Um, it's the two things that I find most important as a therapist, but also just in our day-to-day um, interactions. So like as a therapist, I would say my theoretical approach is much more attachment-based. And so how our connectivity to initially primary caregivers, but other people really supports us to be um, fully thriving people. And so it could be caregiver relationships. It could be other people, which is why like doing circles in a classroom is such a beautiful option because now kids are learning to have these connections with um, teachers and peers. But the program really comes from the fact that most, like what I see time and time again is families are just busy. They are like, all the members of the family are these passing ships in the home. Do they stop and do they talk? Yeah. Do they have meaningful interactions? Probably. Do they love each other? 100%. But are they making very intentional time to sit down and focus their attention on each other? Not often. And so oftentimes they'll just, you know, parents are running their kids from practice to after school activity to this, to that, and then there's homework and then they might sit down for dinner. They might not. And so I just teach parents, however it works for them. Like I don't give them so much structure to where it's like, you have to do it this way. It's, I show them a framework very much like restorative practices. Here's a framework. And then you figure out how it's going to work for you. So for us, it looks like a family meeting. We meet once a week, uh, anywhere from like five to 20 minutes is depending on what we have. Sometimes we just start with a check-in because again, I just need to know, have a pulse on my kids. That's a really important skill that I teach to parents. If you can just stop and pause and let your kids share what's going on in their lives and you can ask them, imagine once a week doing that and giving kids the opportunity to coach them or allowing yourself the opportunity to coach your kids through tough situations or to know what's happening in their lives. So that way you can guide them a little bit better because otherwise those conversations don't always come up. They don't just naturally occur. Kids don't, when you ask the kids, how's your day? They usually say good. And then you move on. Right. And it's like, no, your day wasn't good. If, but if I can ask better questions and really sit down and, you know, make some eye contact with you, I might get a different response. So I teach them different questions to ask and then what to do with those, the answers that they get, how they can go a little bit deeper, how they can coach them, coach their kids and use that as a learning moment um, but really it's about consistency and um, setting some, setting a framework. So that way everybody feels safe to share, um, feels like they have the opportunity to be heard. It, it Honestly, it's not rocket science. I wish it was. It's not. It's just sometimes we just need to have this package of things put together and um, yeah, know what's going to work for us and then figure out how to make it like more authentic to our family. I like that. I like that a lot. That's uh, and, it, and like like you said, some of it you just kind of need a nudge that way. I think mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, um, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about goal setting for a family. Why is this something to think about? Um, okay, so I, I shared ours of our skateboarding goal, but it's one of those skills that, um, so with restorative practices, one of the things that I love about them is this idea of being explicit. So you need to be explicit in your teaching. Same thing goes with our parenting. If we want our kids to learn how to set goals, how to um, 
pivot when the goals are going off track, how to ask for help when we're not able to reach our goals, then we need to be teaching those skills. So what a perfect time than a new year when everybody's setting their resolutions, which don't really have a lot of um, efficacy. Not everybody really sees those. So I think the research is like 8% or something like that, actually, of people who set a resolution see it through. But goals, goals we, we accomplish all the time. And so what a fun way to teach kids about goals is like doing something as a family. So it could be um, a weekend project you want to take on. It could be your family goal could be having more time to connect. So it might be starting a family meeting. It might be a board game night um, and, you know, cell phones and devices are put away for that time. Maybe it's a, a meal that you prepare together because you want to teach your kids to cook. So many different things. But again, we have to be intentional and then we have to walk kids through. Like our job is to teach them. And so we may not know all the steps. That's fine. I'm providing it all for you. Um, but teach them as much as you can, right? They're, there's going to be mistakes. If you have the knowledge, give them what you have and make the time to do it. Um, by just, you know, like having a little bit of intention and, and some planning. I, I like that. You know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I just think I don't care what socioeconomic bracket you're in or whatever. It's a lot of times, I mean, what it, it gets itself to is that we really could use some of the, someone to kind of whisper in our ear, here's some thoughts and that might help you deal with this or address this. So you don't feel like you're being told, but instead what happens is that you got like I called it before, a nudge in the in mm -hmm. kind of the right direction to help you deal with uh, um, you know, some of the things that, depending on how your day went, you know, um, and the kids also, you know, it's uh, um, I, I, one of the things, I'll, I'll never forget a kid who um, never, he didn't get in trouble, he just had some issues once in a while, mm -hmm. and this is a long time ago, he's probably, he's probably like 35 <laughs> years old now, <laughs> but uh, um but I'll never forget him because totally out of character one day, he just, he was like, I'm going to get in, make every adult mad throughout this day. And when you got to the bottom of it, one of the things that you found out was that, and this is a high school kid, all right? He was like 16, 15 or 16 years old. Uh, but why I'll never forget this is that, you know, there are these calculators that cost around a hundred dollars <laughs> that now are kind of, I don't know how much what place they play anymore but you know kids carry those to school and you know you entrust them to say this is a hundred dollar calculator please make sure it gets back it goes to school and gets home from school and he was working on his third one um the awesome thing was the last time that this caused all these problems was that the bus driver found it on the bus and had it <laughs> nice but he you know when when I talked with him, I said, what's, what's going on with you today? I said, I, look at all these, you know, you've been a, on a rage. And, and he, he said, I lost a cap, one of those hundred dollar calculators again. He says, my third one. And my dad's going to kill me when I get home, mm. Oh man. And it explained a lot about yeah. why he's on this little tirade. He, he didn't want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> third calculator. And, you know, sometimes as a parent, what happens is that, that, you know, the kid comes in and you're ready to, to deal with whatever that, is that thing is in this case you know the third hundred dollar calculator that you think you've lost and uh, or he's lost and uh and then whatever your day is you know it makes a really bad combination of things yep, yep. i mean I, my kids couldn't be any different in their personalities like there's definitely some similarities but they definitely have different approaches to how they navigate the world 
And so my parenting style has to change. And maybe that's obviously that's influenced what I do, but I have to be really conscious of like, okay, what are their strengths that they're showing up with and what, how does that help them? And some oftentimes, how does that hinder them? So like my oldest is very rule following, very um, loves like symmetry, loves like details. Um, fairness is important to him. So I'm con- as his parent, I'm like, oh, you're so easy to parent. His, and his teachers are always like, gosh, he's the best student. I'm like, yes. And I also <laughs> want him to learn how to challenge the rules and how to go against the grain sometimes. And I was like, I know that sounds pretty unconventional as a parent. So like, here I am, like, what if you don't uh, like the school uniform policy is kind of loose. And so I'm like, and, but then they started incentivizing it, which right. Like as a school administrator, I'm like, yeah, of course, like incentivize the school uniform. But I'm like, no, but I want my son to like <laughs> learn how to like maybe challenge authority a bit in a very respectful way. Um, and so I have to, like when he questions me, if I'm having a bad day, like I have to think of like, oh no, no, what long-term, what do I want for him? Do I want him to be able to offer up a different opinion and ask questions? Or am I going to squash this because I just don't have the time to deal with it right now. Um, And so some days I do better than others for sure. Um, But if I have that on my radar, many days I will sit down, I'll take a deep breath. I'll sit down with him and I'll let him challenge me and I'll kind of coach him through like maybe how to say something a little bit differently or how he can do that because I want him to have that skill. Uh, That's cool. It makes sense. makes a lot of sense. Otherwise everything's compliant. Behavior. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a side note, it's funny listening to you say this because, you know, like I said, you're talking to a f- former person responsible for instilling mm-hmm. discipline in a building and uh, maintaining a certain uh, amount of um, order and such. Um, at the same time, I do have that uh, mischievous side to me as well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm a former soldier and uh, in, in this military academy that I went to, you always tried to figure out how to, uh, um, there's always a group of us who you wore something that they'd have to really be looking for <laughs> in order to find it because everything else was perfect. But over here, there's a button that's out. It's not supposed to be there. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's turned a little bit to the right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you tell that story to people and they look at you and go, what are you nuts? What is, well, that's kind of like the environment that makes you do that way, but got away with yeah. it. <laughs> you know, it's like, and yeah. we were like the order of the button, you know, type thing. <laughs> hey, yep. I got, did you get through the day? Yes, I got through the day. Hey, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. And I don't mean to like, I know if some people are like, oh my God, I can't believe she would do that. Like, fine, I'll take it. But also like bigger picture, like, again, one of my goals for my kids as parents, as a parent is I want them to be critical thinkers. And if I can't teach, if I'm only teaching them how to follow rules all the time, then how am I teaching them to be a critical thinker? Because if they're challenging me because their mind is going of like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Then I need to help give them the context in order for them to figure out what makes sense. And it might be different than what I have to offer. Like I, I will not be surprised if my kids have a lot of different values and different ideas than I have. Shockingly. It's, it's going to happen. So it's going to happen. So might as well just brace myself and I'll be very proud of them when, I mean, it's already happening. I'm sure. It, there you go. <laughs> cool stuff. That, uh, very good. That, um, I, I, I got to ask this. Um, so with all these conversations, I mean, one of the things that you're trying to help some parents is to help reduce conflict in the home. Can you talk a little bit about that? How, how do you do that? How do you? Yeah. Do so, that? I mean, part of it, it's kind of like a, a multi-pronged approach. One is just recognizing what stress does. When we have heightened emotions, 
we are less responsive and we are more reactive. And so part of what I teach is helping people understand what the stress response, stress response system is and how they can use particular strategies. I really like mindfulness, so yoga, meditation, journaling, going for a walk, whatever your, your cup of tea is, but bringing yourself down so that way you have, you're in a better place to connect with people. Um, my youngest is very passionate. Um, he is, him and I have had some major clashes. <laughs> um, I used to always tell this story and like when I would do trainings, we would, when we first started our family meetings, we went on a vacation. We, I think we were in Flagstaff. We went on this hike. We love to hike, but an hour and a half into the hike, I, we were on, ended up on this like expert level hike. Cause I kind of missed the turn for like the more easy hike. Um, so we're hiking up the mountain that they're doing great. But then as we get to the top of where we were going, it was all rocky and he was wearing tennis shoes and he's climbing all over these rocks. He's like five and he's just like all limbs, like a baby deer on these rocks. And I'm freaking out because I'm like, I'm one adult with three kids. I, we've seen like maybe five people and we're on this mountain where I'm not getting good cell phone reception. If something happens, like it all falls on me. And so I'm seeing him slide off these rocks. I'm like, buddy, you got to get off the rocks, buddy. You got to get off the rocks. Well, eventually he loses it and he just like storms off. So I chase him. I lose it. I'm like, get over here. Stop running from me. We're screaming at each other on this mountain. Um, and it's because, and then we finally came back. We had, a, we had our family meeting over ice cream and I was like, I was just so scared. And so, and they were like, oh, that makes so much sense. And then my oldest son was telling me how he has these fears. My baby was like, mommy, I just really wanted to be, I just really want to climb on the rocks and you wouldn't let me. And I was like, totally, you want to be independent. I get it. And I'm like, it just wasn't the time and place. And I was so scared that I couldn't see anything, any other way past that. I apologize. Like, we'll figure out how you can kind of climb and be like, the, you know, like explore and do all this adventure stuff. But that just wasn't it. That timing did not work out for the both of us. So take that into your home and think about how many days that you come home and have a bad day and you have less tolerance for normal kid behavior or a little, you know, turned up kid behavior and how you might get into conflict with family members because there's just so much raw emotion. So if you can learn to manage your emotion, regulate yourself a little bit better, you're going to reduce the conflict just by doing that. On top of that, if you're meeting regularly, then you're developing those conflict resolution skills, you're engaging um, consistently, you're creating this, the space and hopefully the skills to have this back and forth dialogue. And so there's a secondary benefit of you practicing the skills in very neutral situations. So that way, when there are more heated emotions, you already have that relational capacity. That's awesome. You know, it's a skill that, uh, uh, that we all could use <laughs> yeah. reminders and thoughts and ideas about it, and especially when you're dealing with your world and then the, the kids come home from their world and you come smack dab into each other and it, you meant well when it all started, but <laughs> it, it all goes some other direction and you're like, oh, all right, well, how did this go out? Go haywire yep. like this. And, you know, it's just like, you know, it's funny, just a side note. Um, I'm beginning to understand a lot more. It's too bad that you, the wisdom that you have once your children, as you go through having children, isn't emplaced in your brain when you're younger, because <laughs> I totally understand a lot of what you were just talking about. Totally makes me think about stuff that I totally thought my dad was losing it, you know, and it's like, <laughs> um, 
And now as, a, as an adult, I've had those experiences where, nope, he wasn't losing it. He's just trying to figure out he was afraid that I was either going to fall out of the tree or I was going to run over by a truck or, you know, one time in the Grand Canyon, going to fall off the, you know, yeah. every, every little terrible thing you've ever thought of, they, they come into your brain. And it's, yeah. uh, and you could see that, that happening now. Then, no. I mean, I'm like, what, what the heck's the matter, man? I'm just, yeah. I'm, Dad, you're boring. You're no fun, right? Like the, my son, one of my sons once called me a mean mom and I was like, thanks. That means I'm doing my job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, it's like, it's just, <laughs> it's funny. Sorry. It's, I, I like to tell this story about my, my grandfathers and my grandmothers. Both my grandfathers were fun. They play with the kids and, you, and they get in trouble right along with you. All right. Uh-huh. Why is he on the roof? Well, because I showed him how to get on the roof. Why did you show him how to get on the roof? Now, that type of thing, right? Uh Both my grandmothers were the opposite. They were like, they're the ones yelling about, get off the roof, get out of the tree, get down. And, you know, usually why I was in the tree or on the roof is because my grandfather's helped me be there. And, (laughs) you know, and it's just, it's just funny that uh, you kind of get a, grip on uh I, i'm now that person who helps get in trouble <laughs> uh-huh. so I, I i i learned too well from my uh those adults <laughs> that were helping me along the way all right i'm babbling now didn't mean to do that but uh, <laughs> i love it <laughs> I, I love this conversation right here because it is it's kind of funny you see it so differently as you get a little older and you start realizing wow i kind of get where that was coming from but yeah hey. and honestly i feel like right like if you're if any of those people would have maybe just had a conversation of like, Hey, this is why I'm doing this. Right. If like grandpa were to say like, man, I, this is the type of grandfather I want to be, or I want to like, this is what I get. Now we have the context and we have the understanding. We just don't, we're not in the practice. At least my family was, and I don't see a lot of families that do it, but maybe those are just the families that come to therapy um, that aren't in the practice of over communicating, kind of talking about like why we do those things. It's just it's challenging for sure. It's a whole different shift in parenting, especially if you were raised in the parenting style that's like, do as I say, right? Or you came through an education system or any like job career. If you have that mentality, it's going to be hard. It's going to rock your world in some days to shift to be like, ah, I have to like give feedback and it's going to feel very unsettling. Kind of like when we went through the transition in schools of like, all right, we got to like think of more creative consequences or like teach kids more appropriate behavior. Like, take stripping people felt like they were being stripped of their right to punish kids. Um, but it's really about like, ah, my goal is to get you to learn and solely by telling you not to do something or by punishing you for doing the thing that feels right to you, isn't going to get me there. Like I want to teach you the right behavior and there could be lots of different ways of doing it, but we're not going to have, we're not going to get there if we're not having a dialogue about it. Yeah, and, and lots of families are exactly what you're talking about, where yeah. there's not much communication in that area. It's just you, you react, you do, you say it, and and then it sometimes creates consequences. <laughs> like yep. like uh, my grandfather explaining why he showed me how to get on the roof <laughs> and then was encouraging <laughs> me to jump to him. Yeah, oh, my God. Like, yeah. <laughs> Good thing it wasn't that high up, but it was still a roof. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Superman. You know. Amazing <laughs> that you made it here then. <laughs> yes, it is. It, there are certain things. It's, that's the same grandfather who his idea of teaching me how to swim was he took me to the ocean and said, here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So I would have, I would have had so much anxiety around your grandfather. <laughs> he, he survived World War II in a tank. So we're good. And, <laughs> and the other one just loved to have fun. And it's just funny because you could tell that their explanations for why did you do it was, well, I really didn't think I shouldn't. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, 
Nice. Just, nice. just felt right. It felt right. Yes. So, you know, it's, um, so I have to warn my kids. I learned from them. All right. Oh, geez. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't paying attention good. to the grandmothers. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be like, when grandpa comes over, he is definitely being supervised. <laughs> yes. That, that's funny because I'm pretty sure that's probably what happened after a while. <laughs> so why are you with me everywhere? Because I have to watch your grandfather. <laughs> yep. Yep. He's not allowed to be around you unaccompanied. I like that. Um, uh, Lynn, this, this has been awesome. I, as we're getting ready to close, if someone wanted to learn more, where would you send them? Um, so they can either go to my website and look at some of the things I offer. I do offer, so in addition to working with individual families, I do offer bulk subscriptions to any of my content for school sites or school districts. So if they wanted to provide the supports to the families, then um, they can just email me because we'll work out um, what, what sort of package would be most appropriate for them. But my website is a great place to start and you can contact me through there if there's something on there that, uh, or if you don't see something that you would like to see if I can do. Cool. And I'll have the links in my show notes. And uh, I got last two questions to ask. Um, go like this. Uh, first one, when life gets tough and you start getting so much stuff thrown at you that you may want to quit, how do you keep going? Oh, oh gosh. I, I like to just take a break and pause. Like it's easy for me to um, retreat and withdraw is like if I, if I'm too overwhelmed but I use that to my advantage. And I like, for me, I love to be outside in nature, like just put me around some trees or some flowers. And I'm like the happiest person I'm in California. So sometimes I like make the 20 minute trek to the ocean, but literally if I can just sit and look at a tree, like that gives me enough of a pause to kind of come back to myself and figure out what I need to do next. Very cool. Love that advice. Uh, last one. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Ah, uh, yes. Um, so high school ASB advisor, Mrs. Ellis, I actually have thanked her and she didn't realize what an impact she made on my life. Um, I, so when I was a senior in high school, I thought I was going to be a chiropractor. I went and talked to a chiropractor and he was like, well, I mean, yeah, you can do it, but just, you know, see how many chiropractor offices there are in Palmdale and you know, see if that's something you want to do. So I was like, well, that wasn't encouraging. That was my senior year. And I was like trying to go to school, like go off to college. I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so she sat with me one day and she was like, well, maybe you should do something like in a counseling or helping profession. You're a great listener. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. And so here I am as a therapist. She reflected back to me something that nobody else had. And I was like, all right, I'll take it. Very cool. That's so yeah. cool. Lynn, it was great talking with you today. Connect, flow, grow has an, has an awesome focus. Um, relationships, parenting, helping. I love it. You know, wishing you the best in all you do. Thank you so much. Teaching, learning, leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching, learning, leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. <laughs> The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.